Welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and today I have a special guest, Andy Fadenholtz. Welcome, Andy. Hi, Dr. Wilner. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I should mention right away that it's April 16th, 2020, so we... Uh, do have this COVID pandemic, and that's one of the reasons we're on uh, Zoom. But you're in uh, Cleveland. Are you in yep. Cleveland now? And I'm in Memphis, and we've got a good connection. So today is a business of medicine topic, and you are a physician recruiter, sometimes referred to as a headhunter. So I want you to tell me your background, how you got into this, and what's the landscape now for physicians uh, looking for a job? Right. So I work for a firm called Rossman Search. Um, we are a specialized recruitment firm that works solely in neurosciences. We have a neurology recruitment team made up of nine neurology recruiters and then a group of four neurosurgery recruiters along with um, a new line that, that was recently launched for nurse practitioners that specialize in neuroscience. So the firm was started by Judy Rossman um, over a decade ago at this point. And we've really kind of cornered the landscape for, for neurosciences in general, um, just because that's the only thing we focus on. Okay, so, all right, I think guess that's lesson number one. If I'm a physician and I've just graduated my residency and fellowship, I'm looking for a position, or say I'm mid-career and my employer isn't uh, treating me properly and I want to find another position, uh, I need to find not only a recruiter, but one that specializes in my area. Now, is that right? Well, with that being said, I don't know if other recruitment firms are out there that specialize in you know, family medicine or internal medicine. Um, as, as far as I'm aware of, we're the only firm that really is dedicated in neurosciences specifically. And that really allows us to, to have a good grasp on the landscape for what the neurology market looks like, different fellowship trends. Um, we understand the difference between a neurointensivist and an interventional neurologist, whereas a lot of even in-house recruiters don't really understand the, the complexities that come along with all the different subspecialties in, in neuroscience. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's very important. On this program, we've done a lot with the locum tenants. And uh, when I've spoken about locum tenants and using an agency, I, I use the uh, parallel of a real estate agent. You know, if you want an agent, I mean, you can just buy a house by yourself. You don't need an agent. But then if you get an agent, you want one that knows your neighborhood you know, so that uh, they're local. You don't want an agent from another state who doesn't know the comps and doesn't, you know, know the, the banks and the inspectors. You want someone who's specialized in your area. So that, that sounds like that would be the obvious sort of way to go for a neurologist to look for a neurology specialty group. And I think you're also very correct about the uh, subspecialty areas because many, this has exploded. I mean, when I was a resident in neurology, basically you became a neurologist and uh, maybe a neuroradiologist, but that was a different residency. But a, a neurologist was a neurologist. And then you did a fellowship, maybe an EMG or EEG. 
But now, as you say, there's a neurointerventionalist. Well, that's a completely different job with a, a different pay scale, different obligations. Uh, it starts out as a neurologist, but then there's one or two or even three years of fellowship. It's a very different uh, kind of uh, uh, position. And so it, these things are not interchangeable. I applied for a job once and I wanted the neurohospitalist position and uh, they said, oh no, just the outpatient. It's like, well, that's completely different. You know, I could do both, but they're really different uh, professions. So, so that's interesting. Right. And one of the other things that really sets our firm apart is before we take on any new clients, new hospitals, um, we vet them because there are a lot of opportunities out there that aren't within the market standards. And I probably turn down four to five clients a month just based on, you know, their compensation is not set up correctly. Um, there's internal issues that need to be corrected before they're going to be able to hire. Because our, you know, with our placement rating being over 90%, um, our retention rating is also over 90% because we don't just look for a placement. I've actually told neurologists in the past that I don't think that's going to be a good fit for you based on their background, um, maybe how many patients they're expecting to see per day. And I understand that the practice is, is probably a little bit more busy than what they would actually like. Uh, and referred them to, to other locations. Um, well, I think I think that's really important because my understanding of a uh, of someone in your position is that you're paid uh, when you make the placement. So it's kind of like a real estate agent. You know, they get money when you buy the house. So you know, some unscrupulous agents might say, "Oh, Doctor Will, that's a great house for you. You know, just buy it." And uh, you know, so so tell me more. I think I think the listeners would be interested in how you are paid. I mean, does the money come out of my pocket? Where do, where does the money come from to support you? Right. So, okay, my background before I got this job, I was actually a college football coach. So I was just applying on like. Indeed, and I wanted to get closer to home where my parents live up here by Cleveland. Um, and I met Judy Rossman and Beth Derry, who are the owners of our company. And I never thought that I was going to be like a headhunter, recruiter. Uh, you know, I, I did had done an MBA, um, but I promised myself, you know, they made a commitment to hire me and I wanted to make a commitment for them for at least one year. And it was tough because I, I was like, I'm doing brain surgery, recruiting, what? What's a neurologist? I, I, I really didn't know anything. Um, I did have a recruiting background from being a college football coach. You know, we did high school kids. Mm -hmm. But over the last five years, I can tell you that the company that I work for, our motto is do well by doing good. We don't have standards in terms of like how many placements we need to make. We're not, you know, jumping over everybody like my team. I know a lot of other companies because I've talked to people that have worked there where they're like very competitive and everybody's trying to poach everybody's candidates and clients. And, and that's not how we work. Um, we have a, a fairly good base salary, but we are a retained search firm. Mm. Um, I go do a lot of residency and fellowship education um, at institutions. I was actually at UT last spring. I did a talk at the University of Tennessee and then I drove over to Vanderbilt. Oh, great. Um, there. Um, but it really allows us to, to go out into the community of 
the neurologists and, and really shed light on their careers. Because um, most residents, like the questions that they have, they don't really get the answers to while they're in training. You know, they've trained their entire life and they finally get to the point where they're going to look for a job. And they don't really understand what that is going to be like. Um, they, they're not sure about comp. Um, they're not sure like what an RVU is or how they're going to be paid, um, what's competitive, uh, which programs are, you know, for lack of better terms, good. Um, and it, it really allows us to go through and, and also discuss subspecialty trends. You know, you've seen neurohospitalists work and so many programs are trying to become primary stroke centers at this point and comprehensive stroke centers. If you would have told me, you know, three or four years ago, we had a neurologist who was going to do an interventional fellowship, I would say, okay, well, you're going to have to be fairly flexible on where you want to live because those, it's a competitive market. You know, endovascular neurosurgeons are in that market, neuroradiologists. Um, but now it's, it's really starting to expand. There's a lot of hospitals developing biplane suites and, and really trying to go comprehensive. So in terms of how we're paid, yes, I do get a bonus from our firm uh, when I make a placement or obtain a new client, but we're not driven by money, if that makes sense. We really, like, we want to keep the reputation of, like, do well by doing good and have a reputation of being a company that has a high retention rate and makes placements based on good fits, not trying to, you know, put a square peg in a round hole. What happens if, uh, say, you place me at this program that I thought was great, I get there six months later, I say, oh, this is terrible, you know, the guy who hired me left and, uh, you know, and I want to leave. How, how does that reflect on you or does it? It's like, I mean, are you just done and it's like, that's my problem or how does that work? Well, we really try to hold the hand of our clients and a lot of our clients have been with us, you know, over the last five, six, seven years, um, you know, on and off for their needs as they grow and expand. Um, we're going to do everything we can to make things work. We're going to step in and, and try to create, you know, a bridge between the administration and the place, person we placed or the, the chair and the person we placed and really try to work through those issues together. Um, we do a lot of our own reference checks when we place somebody. Um, in addition to having the leader of the practice or the chair of the department speak with them, we do a lot of verbal reference checks on our end as well, just to make sure that the candidate is going to be in a, a, a good fit for that program. Um, you know, if, if I get on the phone with somebody's mentor and they say, you know, clinical skills are amazing, bedside manner is phenomenal, um, you know, but they're really only going to be able to see five to six patients a day because they spend a lot of time with the families. Mm -hmm. And I have a private practice that, you know, they, they want at least 20 patients a day in an outpatient setting. Even if they like each other, I'm going to be like, honestly, I don't think you're going to be a good fit for that program, even though I can place them there. Yes. So yeah. that was actually one of my questions. Um, do private practices like groups of five or groups of seven, do they use a service like you as, as well as like an academic center or a giant hospital system? How, do you all comers? Yeah, so we do, um, you know, the, the private practice world for neurology is um, very competitive. 
nowadays. It's, it's difficult to run a private practice as a neurologist. We do work with a few sophisticated programs that we've vetted um, and we don't consider them patient mills as some would and make sure they're going to be a good fit. Cause we, you know, I think our reputation in, in the neurology world is something that we try to take care of. Um, so if I have a private group that I know is just out for the bottom dollar and just seeing as many patients as possible, running as many EEGs and EMGs as possible, I personally don't want to associate myself with that. And I don't think, you know, anybody else on my team would want to associate, even though they would pay our fees. We really want to make sure that our clients that we take on are good and genuine and they're going to treat their physicians well. Um, and we really try to make sure we do that before we, I, I can tell you the president of our firm will not sign a contract, even if, you know, the, the hospital has until our entire team has been on a conference call with the key stakeholders in that program to make sure it's something that's competitive and something we want to work with. Uh, can you make a statement, you know, broadly over the last, say, five years or you've been doing this for how long? Five years. Yeah. Five years. OK, so over the last five years, what's happened to physician to neurologist salaries? Are they kind of stagnant, going up, going down? Right. So the demand for neurologists is increasing um, significantly over the last few years. Uh, you've seen the development of, as you mentioned, more people going into fellowship, wanting to subspecialize. Um, you've seen the development of the neurohospitalist position. Like, if you're above a 300-bed hospital, chances are you're going to need to have neurohospitalists in a patient role, seven on, seven off, 14 on, 14 off, depending on how the schedule's set up. Um, and that's really driven the demand. As, as you mentioned earlier, you know, when you were finishing training, maybe you went and did like an EMG fellowship, EEG fellowship. You were just a, you know, when you were a neurologist, you did your residency and you were a neurologist. You had inpatient, um, you had hospital duties, you had an outpatient clinic, and you went home when the work was done. And now that we've seen the development of that neurohospitalist position and 100% outpatient subspecialty clinics that are outside of the academic institutions, that's really put a strain on the market because that one person that maybe finished training in you know the 90s that did everything is now really separated between at least three people. The two neurohospitalists provide 24-7 coverage and then the outpatient neurologist on that end. So we have seen the demand um, go up and, and along with that demand, uh, compensation has gone up pretty significantly over the last five years as well. Well, that's good to hear because neurologists were always kind of pretty close to the bottom of the compensation uh, scale, uh, despite the hard, you know, cognitive uh, work that we that we do and the extensive training. Uh, it's always been, I, of course, in my unbiased opinion, somewhat uh, underappreciated uh, from a uh, compensation point of view. So. That's uh, that's encouraging. And, and I agree with you. You know, I used to read these reports, you know, the government would come up. This is how many doctors will need in, you know, 2030. And I look at that and I say, well, that it's completely wrong because they're not taking into account that an internist is no longer an internist. A pediatrician is no longer a pediatrician because you have so many subspecialties now because we we know more and we can do more that, uh, as you say, what, what one neurologist used to be able to do, because they did everything and they worked till, you know, 10 o'clock at night, you now you need three or four 
because their hours are more limited and they're doing very, very uh, specialized uh, activities. And uh, so there is a demand. The last time I looked at the AAN Career Center for Neurologists, there were more than 400 positions currently available. Does that sound right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're one, we're a great partner with the AAN. Um, the AAN Career Center is a phenomenal resource. Um, and we're one of the largest advertisers on the Career Center as well. Um, and even if a position isn't posted, that doesn't mean the program couldn't use another neurologist. There's a lot of programs out there, like if you have an interest in a specific area uh, for family reasons or other reasons, um, don't be afraid to just reach out to whoever is the key stakeholder, um, either the chair or the, the physician lead, and write them an email. Um, send your CV over and say, hey, you know, I have an interest in this area because of this, this, this. I'm not sure if you're looking for additional neurologists, but I would love to have a conversation with you if, if you might be hiring. Um, don't be afraid to do that because there's a lot of programs out there that aren't advertising and can definitely use additional neurologists. Oh, that's, I think that's very uh, useful uh, information. So th there's one other thing we have to talk about before we go, and that is the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I'm looking at your surroundings. I don't see any cubicles. I have a feeling that uh, you're working from home. And uh, what other changes? Uh, for example, we, uh, at my own institution, we were in the process of recruitment. We are recruiting for a neurologist, a neuromuscular guy and uh, then it got interrupted he said oh i can't come for an interview my institution won't let us travel and so it just froze so what are you seeing uh, now as we're in the as i say april 16th uh, hopefully this will by the time people watch this maybe this will change but well, what do you see right now in terms of recruitment and jobs Right. So programs, you know, the, the demand hasn't gone away for, for neurology. There's definitely still a very high demand. Um, but yeah, this has been uh, a big change, not only in the recruitment world, but in the world in general. Um, I don't think this is something that we've seen in the past. And, you know, it programs are doing and adapting in different ways. Um, I don't know of any programs that are actively bringing in neurologists for site visits at this point. But there are a lot of programs that are doing like full day Zoom interviews where you tour the hospital, you meet with all of the key stakeholders, all of the neurologists, um, you get organized. And some programs are actually extending offers based on that video interview. Um, I've had a few go out recently. Um, I've had other programs that, you know, they'll start with the video interview just to kind of get ahead of the process because you know, the demand, like I said, hasn't gone away, but they don't feel comfortable extending an offer without meeting that position in person, having the position go there and actually see the community. Um, so it's, it, it's, you know, different for, for each program. And I don't think anyone has set up really a, a clear policy that's, that's going to take across the board. But, um, you know, our team has put together a document of best practices for video interviews um, because in a lot of hospitals you know i think i knew before this two or three hospitals that started with like a skype or a zoom interview prior to bringing in the neurologist and most programs aren't really familiar with uh how to set it up and how to organize it so we put together some um a, a document on best practices for candidates and for any hospitals that might be starting that process 
that I'd be happy to share with anybody that might have an interest. That's great. So how would physicians or hospital potential clients, how would they get in touch with you? So they can reach out to me uh, via email. It's uh, A, and then my last name, Badenholtz, at RossmanSearch.com. Um, they can visit our website, just RossmanSearch.com, and, and they can get my contact information there or any of our other nine neurology recruiters um, information there. And um, cell phone is uh, available, and, and we can get that out there as well. That's to be found on the website. Andy, that... This is really, you know, I think this uh, whole concept of getting a job has always been a little bit opaque. So I want to thank you for clarifying uh, the role of the recruiter. And in your case, for neurologists and neurosurgeons, uh, this has really been an interesting program uh, for me and I hope for the listeners. And I'll mention if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, the same program is also available on a podcast. And if you're listening to the podcast, but you're home and you'd like to watch it on YouTube, uh, you can just check uh, The Art of Medicine with Dr. Andrew Wilner, and uh, you'll find uh, this series of uh, programs. So, Andy, I want to thank you once again for appearing on the show. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Wilner. It's been a pleasure.